This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 163 of the Laravel News Podcast. We are live. So we had a little bit of a different week this week. Uh, Michael, we typically record yesterday, but that did not happen because children. Am I right? Children. Tell children, me. Mate. Tell me about yeah, the children. They, uh, <laughs> well, so we, we caught up with some friends down at the beach and the kids were running around and we thought we'd tie them out. And that never works. our eldest, <laughs> eldest <laughs> was like works. running like mad the whole time. And he came home and normally we can get him down, but he didn't want to go down. And the youngest, um, who had been up a couple of times overnight because she's teething, fell asleep in the car. But because she'd been running around in the water when we got home, we had to like strip her off, get her changed, then get her back to bed. And then neither of them wanted to go to bed. And because the youngest had been up during the night teething, um, my wife was tired and so she needed a nap so i said look can we do this tomorrow so that re can go and have a nap and i can look after the kids so mm. here we are a day later than than usual indeed indeed but we're okay with it because uh we got an extra day to get some input and some feedback from the community which was pretty cool so we pushed back a day i was the one responsible for putting together the show notes which apparently i did a terrible job of this time <laughs> And so I was like, you know what? We have a really light week on packages. And so why don't we reach out to the community and see if there's anything cool they'd like to talk about or things that they're working on. So today at the end of our show, we have a lot of community links that we are going to be talking about and sharing and some cool new stuff uh, from people I may or may not have heard of or heard from before. So yeah, excited to get to that section of the show. Uh, Should be fun. So with that being said, yeah. uh, quick shout out to Honey Badger for sponsoring the show. They've got an awesome new product called Hook Relay, which helps you to put web hooks into your existing application. If that's something you'd like to serve to your customers, is you want to offer web hooks as an option for them, Hook Relay is definitely the way to go. We'll talk about them a little bit later. But before we do that, let's talk about some releases, shall we? So we've got Laravel 9.4. I'm going to go ahead and kick us off starting to uh, talk about that one. So Laravel team released 9.4. Here's some of the highlights. They've got the ability to override CSRF cookies, a string LC first method, and an optional retry mechanism for queued mailables and more. So let's start with that CSRF stuff. So we have allow verify CSRF tokens, CSRF cookie to be extended. So Jaggy contributed the ability to override the verify CSRF token by defining a new cookie method on an application's extended CSRF middleware. So CSRF stands for cross-site request forgery. And what this does is this is essentially a value that Laravel will generate for you that it stores in the user's session. And then when they submit a form, uh, you send through this CSRF token along with the payload that you're sending through. And Laravel will just basically take care of verifying that that token that they're sending through is the one that was generated. So it makes sure that people can't just um, generate a form that posts to the same URL that you have and just post URLs, uh, you know, post payloads to your website. So that's essentially what this, uh, what CSRF does. Uh, but this new cookie method on an application's extended CSRF middleware, let's see what this does. So while most applications won't need to override this default behavior, true, the PR author provides the following use case. So here it is. There are some cases in multi-tenant systems that the user might want to change the CSRF token to prevent these 419 errors. The 419 error is what you get when you have an invalid CSRF token. Multiple auth providers make this happen as well, uh, mainly in XHR requests. This also allows multi-tenant systems to update the token's domain, so i.e. pull the current tenant's custom domain. So a lot of times when you have multi-tenant apps, they will have sort of uh, vanity domains, right? So a subdomain. Uh, that has maybe their name in it. So you can pull a custom, uh, the current tenant's custom domain from the middleware layer. Uh, and this is going to hopefully help a lot of people that are using inertia to allow customization in how XSRF token is named by adding that tenant ID or even the user type. So you can define what cookie is going to be, uh, looks like what cookie is going to be sent, what you're going to be looking for when you're defining uh the value that's going to be sent through as your CSRF uh, cookie. So 
there you have it. That's it's uh, it's sort of a um, I want to say it's a bit a bit of an edge case, uh, but apparently it was a big enough problem that <laughs> uh, Jaggy thought it was worth yeah. uh, submitting to the framework. Might be one of those things where it's sort of difficult to get around. Uh, something like this, which is pretty core to the way that Laravel handles uh, requests. And so it was maybe something that had to be submitted as a pull request to the main framework. It wasn't something maybe you could get around with packages. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. So in any case, it's in there now. If you happen to be one of those people who wants to customize the cookie that gets sent through uh, for, CS- for CSRF verification, you now have the ability to do so. Okay. We also now have uh, add sole value method to query builders. So Matthew Halewood contributed a new sole value. That's S-O-L-E, sole, like the sole of your shoe, sole value method to query builders to return a column from the sole value instead of the whole record. So uh, right now, if you do query and then arrow sole and pass in an array of uh, a with just a single value called ID, it will query, but it will bail if there's not exactly one result, uh, but it will return an object for you. Um, you have another one where you can say query value ID. So this is how it currently works, I'm assuming. And this returns just the value, but there's no safety around there being exactly one result. So it will just return, um, you know, if there's more than one result, it doesn't matter. It'll just return the ID. And then to get the ID uh, on that, you have to, wow, this is weird to read on air, isn't it? Sort of odd. Uh, I apologize. We always do this where we say like, we will not read code on air. Uh, this is one of those odd ones where I, I'm not exactly sure to be real clear what the use case is for this. Um, what do you think, Michael? Is it so like, it would seem like this is only to see if there is a single record for a particular thing. So you can say, um, query that there is a user that has an email of this and give me their ID. Well, it's possible that your result uh, could return if you did not, for some reason, have a unique key or have a unique index on that email column. It's possible mm-hmm. could you could, you could be returning more than one user. And so when you say ID, it could be giving you just yeah. Uh, it, it it may not it may not work. It may be say well, you can't return an ID off of a collection, right? So what this mm-hmm. does is it basically says if you call this sole method, it will only return it. Uh, in the case that there is a single record for you, otherwise it bails out, right? That's kind of what I'm reading right. this to mean. So, so the sole method will make sure that there is one and only one record matching your query builder. Okay. So, Fair. if you've got conditionals around there, whatever. But previously, if you wanted to, if you wanted to get a value from that sole record, you would have to call sole. You'd have to select just the id and then return the id mm. so this is this is adding the sole value method which is a shortcut to having to do that process so you might just want to return the id for that sole record you might not want the rest of it and so by default sole would return the model instance with all of the attributes sole value will return just the value without having to do the extraneous step of saying okay i only want to select these fields and i only want to return that value um, without you know getting all that overhead of all the extra stuff in your code. Yeah, I think so the, the sole thing, yep. sole method was already there. That's what I was missing. Sole value. Yeah, the sole method was yeah. already there. Yep. Yeah. Sole value is just to get the sole record and only select a single field and just return that value. Yeah. Have you ever used sole before? I didn't even know that existed. I've not uh, yeah, I've not had a reason to use it, but um I've I've known of its existence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know about that. That is I suppose that could mm. be handy. Yeah, tell me if only one record exists that matches this query. That's soul. That's cool. Okay, awesome. All right, then we have Vincent Pratt adding a LC first method to the STR and stringable classes. Uh, this also supports non-ASCII characters. So if you say LC first, that means lowercase first letter. So if you pass in something that has uh, you know an uppercase character on the first one, it will go ahead and lowercase it. Uh, there you go. So as he said, it also works with non-ASCII characters. So if you have, uh, I don't know, script characters, right? So like if you're writing in, I don't know, some different language that's non-ASCII, it can still work. So you don't have mm-hmm. to do that whole UTF-8 conversion stuff before you pass in it into this LC first. It, it'll already made it, it'll auto, uh, automatically handle that for you. Okay. Uh, last thing, not last thing, three more things. We've got a mutex column to 
the schedule list command. So madman81 contributed a has mutex column to the schedule list command. What this does is it indicates if a mutex blocks a command. So there's an issue out there, number 41311, which explains how this column can help debug scheduler issues. So uh, they explain the use case here. So they ran into an issue with a scheduled task that wasn't running. It took a while to figure out what was going on, mostly because the schedule list showed nothing out of the ordinary and was updating the next due timestamp as expected. However, the task wasn't executed. Long story short, the tasks were got were getting stuck because a mutex wasn't cleared, probably because of an unscheduled server reboot. So you have this ability to schedule commands to say without overlapping. And so when a command gets scheduled to run in the uh, scheduler kernel, um, what it'll do is it will start to run that job and it'll it'll write a mutex out. And what that mutex will do is before the job is run again, it'll look to see if that mutex, mutex exists. And if it does, it'll stop the command from running. It'll say, nope, it's already running in the background. Don't run it again. And so what we're saying here is uh, this... Um, this particular use case, this particular problem happened because maybe a server got rebooted in the middle of a command that was uh, being run and that mutex never got cleared. And so mm-hmm. uh, essentially what this does is when you call PHP artisan schedule list, this has mutex column allows you to see, is there a mutex out there for this particular scheduled command that would, you know, because it's either running right now or because it has run in the past and maybe it's stuck. Right. Um, so that would help to debug any issues that you might have where maybe you have a job that runs twice a day and it's not during the time that it would normally be running. And you run that PHP artisan schedule list command and you see, oh, there's a mutex out there for there for that. It shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Let me go delete that mutex. Uh, this is going to be yeah. helpful in that situation. Yeah, it's not obvious when the when the mutex exists, especially if it's on uh, on the file system. You know, if you're cross right. servers and you're not you're not storing that mutex in memcached or whatever. So being able to see that is 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 super useful. Um, I remember running into this issue many moons ago where it's just, why is my task not running? And it's because the mutex was still stuck on the file system, but the server had been rebooted or whatever. And uh, yeah, bad bad times. Not not, not fun to diagnose. No, that this seems like it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, I cannot imagine that. Yeah. If you had <laughs> something that was monitoring your... Um, scheduled tasks, you would know that it wasn't running, but you might not know exactly why it wasn't running, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then ping yep. me would help you figure out that it wasn't running. Uh, it, I don't know that it would, it probably wouldn't tell you that it was a mutex that was the problem. Yeah. Um, okay. Support for modifying a char column type. So if you've ever uh, set up a database table and used char as your column type, um, apparently you couldn't modify that previously. So this has now been added, the ability to modify that char column type uh, to like its doctorate equivalent, like string and um, that good stuff. So there you go. And then lastly, we have retry mechanism for queued mailables. So Max Gidding contributed the ability to specify a retry, retry until method or a timeout app property to queued, to queued mailables. This is actually really interesting. I can totally see this being a thing. Um, if, for example... Um, I know for us, if we have a scheduled payment that's coming up, we have to let them know at least six days in advance uh, that mm-hmm. that the payment's going to come out. Well, if it's less than six days and we haven't messaged them, like we try it at nine days, we try and send it to them just so we can make sure we hit that six day mark. But if for some reason, you know, your mailable got hung up or something, it went into a failed jobs table and you, you were going to retry it later or it got stuck in the queue. Uh, this retry until or this timeout app property would allow you to specify how many times or how long you should retry it until. So if we elapsed that six days and it's now five days, maybe we don't want to, maybe there's another mechanism. We have to actually set, you know, you know, give them a phone call, attempt a phone call at that point. We can't notify them by email. We actually have to call them. So you could do something like that. Um, but there are different, there are different, I think, scenarios in which that would be handy. Uh, so this new retry until or timeout app property on queued mailables. That's a big one. That's a lot of stuff there in 9.4. That's a lot of stuff. It is a lot of stuff. Holy cow. And it's some really difficult ones to explain there actually too. So <laughs> 9.5, we'll see if it's a little bit easier. Yeah, always. All right, go ahead, Michael. 9.5. All right, 9.5 was released. 
with partial queue faking, a freeze time test helper, a storage assert directory empty assertion closures in a just assert JSON path and more. So the first up we have here from at Lito, they've contributed callback support on collect implode to simplify a chained map implode, implode, implode chain. Uh, so you can now call implode directly on a collection and it will handle doing the mapping for you without having to go through the, the transient map call. Next up, Mark Beach contributed an assertion to check whether a directory is empty on the storage fake. So previously you would have to run uh-huh. assert empty and then return the, the collection or the array or the iterable, I suppose, as it was from the all files method. Whereas now you can just do storage disk assert directory empty and it will give you a uh, true false or it will make the assertion there that the directory is empty. If there are no files in the directory but it has other subdirectories, the assertion will fail because it contains other files and folders. Um, so it'll it'll check all that stuff for you, which is very handy if you need to do those tests. If you're doing file uploads where you process something and then and move it and then expect for everything to be deleted when that's done, this will give you those assertions there for you. And I think this is a Fly System three thing too, because I know that was one of the items that he had. He wrote up a whole thing. Did uh, he did about this? Um, what's his name? What's the guy that did this Fly System? That's Frank. Yep, Frank. Thank you. Frank DeYoung. Yep, Frank DeYoung. And so he wrote up a whole issue about, or a whole little blog post about how asserting that a directory existed and all that stuff wasn't something that he ever had in Fly System 2, but mm-hmm. now it's in Fly System 3. So I'm assuming that this ability to assert if a directory is empty is also probably thanks to the fact that we have Fly System 3 in Laravel 9 now. So, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Fabian Villapinte contributed the ability to pass a closure to the assert JSON path assertion without any backwards compatible breaks. So this is something that we've seen since Laravel kind of made the the decision to to push the major releases from six monthly to twelve monthly. We're starting to see contributors and the Laravel team work really hard to try and be able to bring things into the framework in backwards compatible fashion so that we can still get you know these new goodies and features and things like that without having to wait 12 months to to see them so it's, it's good to see that the communities embrace that and, and looking to bring this in um, but this will allow you to make assertions against json paths using closures so you know it's it's fairly straightforward if you were to use a string in the example that we've got here if you've ever needed to do a closure assertion you can now do that as well and the other little quality of life thing and sort of backwards compatible change that we've got here is the ability to make partial queue fakes, which was contributed by Taylor Otwell. So if you've used uh, the event fake, or I think the mail fake does this, and maybe the the bus fake, you can either fake the entire lot, or you can specify an array of classes to fake. So you can make assertions against them, which is particularly useful if you have uh, the need for other things to take place, but you only want to make assertions against a very specific class. You can now do this with the queue as well. So you can do queue colon colon fake and then pass an array of specific jobs to fake. And then you can make assertions against those directly, which is very helpful. Uh, Javez Divandari contributed the ability to create new through model uh, without overriding the whole has one through or has many through methods. Um, so I wouldn't, I haven't done any of this kind of stuff before, but this is to be able to create through models. Uh, I suppose when you're, when you've got a has many through or a has one through relationship on your model and you want to create the distant record previously, you'd have to like create it and then do the mapping yourself through the, through the, um, intermediary table. Whereas now with the new through instance method. You can do that directly uh, on the on the the parent model or the external model. So thanks to Javez for that. Uh, we've also got this new wrap string helper, which is contributed by Marcus Hebenstreit. Um, this allows you to wrap. Uh, what are we doing? Taking a string and then wrapping it in other strings, rather than doing string concatenation. So again. Going along that train of being able to just use uh, objects for everything. So rather than doing, you know, string this and then having period or using interpolation or whatever else, you can just do the wrapping there. Um, and there's a few different ways of doing that, whether using string colon colon wrap and passing all of the parameters there. You could do string of or using the the new string helper as well. 
Next up, Italo contributed a freeze time test method, which will freeze the current time in the test. Um, this is syntactic sugar for using the underlying travel to method on the test class. So if you've ever done anything with that, you can check that out. Um, there's also the ability to use sub-second precision. And you can do that to freeze the second, so that'll zero things out. So if you're using milliseconds, sometimes you can get a bit of drift there because things are not going to return that quickly. But freezing to the start of a second is helpful as well. Um, I've had to use that in the past on a number of occasions. Next up, Dries Vince contributed the ability to accept callables in the HTTP before sending method instead of only invocable classes. So now instead of having to pass a whole class in there, you can use uh, an invocable invocation so if you were to pass a, a tuple in there you could pass a method in there so instead of having to create a completely new class for this you can just create a method on on the test class and then pass an array with this dollar this as the first uh, option and prepare request as the method name in the second option so just again all of those little niceties that make testing a little bit quicker and easier uh, but that is it for laravel 9.5 michael i feel like we have like three or four ways to freeze time in tests i feel like yep. you... there's like the wormhole and you can use the, you can use carbon directly and you can use the date facade and and i feel like spassy has these... one like a time travel time warp thing mm -hmm. and then you've got yep. yeah do you have a particular so like because i've never seen the this travel to is that like travel to must be a like laravel first class sort of thing mm -hmm. yeah travel to is the the wormhole stuff that was added by taylor in like laravel 7 laravel 8 mm -hmm. around there mm -hmm. i think um, I, I usually just use, well, historically I've just used the date facade and, or the carbon class and just, you know, carbon colon colon set test now. That's what I do too. Usually. Yeah. Um, I mean, these things is just, again, syntactic sugar and it, and it stops, you know, it's less things that you have to import into your test case cases, I suppose. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Carbon set test now is one I always used, but the travel to, um, seems interesting. So. Okay, cool. It's a bit nicer. Like I said, because it's syntactic sugar, you get the niceties of like when you have to freeze to the start of a second. Sure, right. Um, I know that, you know, th there's there's been scenarios where I'm using microseconds in my timestamps. And so if you don't freeze to the start of the second, you get, you know, the, you'll get, um, you know, 14 colon 15 colon 00 colon 03456 or whatever. And then obviously your test is going to take a millisecond or two to run. So you'll get some drift if you're comparing the timestamps together. So using the start of second to, to zero the whole thing out is very helpful. Yep, yep, very true. Makes sense. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about some packages then, shall we? Let's talk about them. Uh, right, so we've got this blade cache directive. And we're actually going to talk a little bit later about another directive written by Ryan Chandler uh called laravel capture directive which i'm actually more excited about that one than i am about <laughs> this one but let's talk about this one first and maybe i'll just pull the other one in while we're talking about it I'll, I'll probably should i'll do that okay so we've got this laravel blade cache directive and this is a package by ryan chandler it allows you to cache chunks of blade files so the package provides an at cache directive you can use um again if you're not sure what a, a directive is we're talking about uh it's a value prefixed with at that you can use inside of your blade files that does some special magic. So, uh, for example, a really common directive that you might use is at if or at else or at unless or at include. Those are all directives, right? So this is a new one called at cache. And what this does is it allows you to, as the first value, provide a key. And then as a the second value, provide a uh, amount of time, a TTL, time to live. Uh, that you can set in there. Now, the default is set to one hour, but you can pass in your own. I'm assuming it follows the same way that Laravel does it. It's specified in seconds. So um, the cache block will be cached using Laravel's application cache. So you don't have to set up anything new. It uses whatever you have set as your current cache driver. And it even allows string interpolation if you want to cache a block in a per model sort of way. So you could say, cache and then in the uh, key what you'd pass in is something that is unique to the particular model that you're caching right so you could say user profile and then you can say you can use string interpolation to pass in like the user id right so that's how you would cache a block for a particular user and in that case it would say username what this would allow you to do i suppose is this would allow you to instead of generating a block of blade 
that you would do each time a person came to a particular page. Let's say you have, I don't know. I mean, in this case, they're talking about like the user profile, right? So it's probably their image. Mm -hmm. It's probably their location. It's probably, you know, um, I don't know, their birth date. I have no idea. But there's no, that doesn't change, right? Almost ever, right? It's going to be static almost always. So instead of having to go reach out and hit the database every time and pull it back in, uh, it allows you to just say cache user profile for this user ID and then show me the user, right? Show me the user profile card. So you mm-hmm. could just cache that particular little chunk there. And then the next time it goes to get through it, it doesn't have to look at the database. It's already cached. So it just retrieves it from the cache and throws it into your blade page. So it says, if you're curious, then now cache block example result in something don't care. Okay, so there we go. That's That's the basic premise of it, right? Is that you can cache little chunks of blade by passing in a key and a value for how long it should be cached. All right. Now, in addition to that, we have something called the Laravel Capture Directive. So Ryan must have been on a directive kick. And the Capture Directive is similar, uh, but different. And, and I'm saying similar because it's the behavior is, it, it's it's just similar. Okay, let me explain it, right? The cache one caches it. Capture doesn't cache it, but it does give it to you available uh, as a variable. So what you can do in this case is you have at capture and at end capture. And then what it does is it will capture all of the blade that is in between that capture and end capture. The first value that you pass in is the variable that you want to assign that little chunk of blade to. So if you had a capture and then you'd say as the first value that you pass in, you pass in dollar sign hello. And then inside this little capture directive, you have the words, hello world. What that's going to do is it's going to capture that little blade chunk to a variable dollar sign hello that you can then use later on throughout your page. So why would I want to do that? Let's continue to discuss a little bit because the second thing that you can pass in is additional values that you would like to be available to that little chunk of blade. So that uh, the way that you actually uh, show that little blade chunk on your page is you say that dollar sign hello, and then you execute it. Like you put those parens around the end and you invoke that uh, variable, that hello variable. So it essentially takes that chunk and it turns it into a little closure. Why is that important? Well, because if you wanted to pass additional values in, all you do is you say capture dollar sign hello, which is that first value. And then you can pass in arguments, dollar sign name, dollar sign birthday, dollar sign avatar, whatever you might want, right? And then you can pass that into that little blade chunk and utilize it. Here's where I was thinking this could be used. If I have a listing of a bunch of different little components that I'm going to display on a page, let's say I'm looking at a user directory listing and I want to just list out all these different people, right? Instead of having to maybe repeat this this little uh, chunk of HTML or extract it to a component, let's just say I'm in like rapid application development mode and I just want to get that in a little chunk. I can use this capture directive and I can just capture that little chunk of HTML and then I can reuse it over and over and over inside of my inside of my blade file. So it's sort of mm-hmm. like an on-demand component, if you will, that you don't even have to, it doesn't have to be its own separate file. You can like define it at the top of your blade page. If you're just going to use this one spot, you just have this little at capture directive that basically defines, here's a little inline component that I'm using in this one file. And now I can use it wherever I want inside this blade file. It's really interesting. Mm. I would be curious to know kind of what Ryan is doing with this. Uh, that's kind of where my brain went as far as like how it could be utilized, but it's, it's just interesting. I think like Ryan's just got this he comes with these crazy ideas. So I'm interested to hear what yeah. Ryan's doing with this. What do you think, Michael? I, I think it's interesting in the context of being able to have these kind of inline partials, these, these small inline partials that you could sort of just create on the fly without having to extract, yeah. you know, like a three-line sort of blade file right. for, you know, no other reason just to make it reusable. So being able to throw it all into this this capture directive and having it accessible as a as a closure as a callable sort of variable directly or an invocable piece of code directly within the template for the small use cases, I think is, is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know that I'd use it specifically, but it, it's definitely, it shows that there are people out there going full on galaxy brain with this stuff. <laughs> galaxy brain. It's like that meme, right? Is that what you're, trying, is that what you're mm-hmm. referencing? Okay. I got the reference. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay. Moving on. We, we spent probably way too long on that one. All right. Let's keep going. Here we go. 
All right, next up. If you have ever used this application from Sparsi called Ray, they have released a new package that allows you or that enables you to use the Ray, the dump, and the DD methods in any PHP file on your computer. For, for anyone who you know predominantly uses Laravel, but then every now and then they need to jump out into a PHP script or do something different, or they're using Tinker or Tinkerwell or whatever in a different environment where they don't have access to Laravel, instinctively, you're going to type Ray, especially if you're using Ray a lot. I know I find myself typing DD a lot and then going, oh, no, that's not available here or whatever. So what this package is, it allows you to install it globally using Composer. So you do a Composer, Global Require, um, Sparsi slash Global Dash Ray, I think it is. And then that will basically throw a a, a pre-PHP append, a, a prepend. So it basically takes this little packaged up version of Ray, which also includes the Symfony DD and, and dump methods, packages them up into a file file, which is a PHP archive, so that you don't get conflicts in PHP versions and things like that between your projects. And then it allows you to call Ray and dump and DD from any PHP script on your app, on your on your computer. And that's really helpful for places where you can't install Ray because of PHP version constraints. So you're, you know, you're on PHP 8, but your application's on PHP 7.3 by, by composer configuration constraint, um, or you're just in a vanilla PHP application or you're or somewhere else. This allows you to just access those things wherever you want on the, on the computer. Um, so it's a really interesting way of packaging that up and, and making it available anywhere and, and being able to sort of prepend it into PHP such that it loads it everywhere is is really quite useful. You don't have to worry about pulling it in as a dependency, just having this globally available now as well. So definitely check that out if you're if you've used Ray and ever found yourself in one of those situations like I have where you want to see it in your application, but it's just it's just not there. Yeah, it's like one of those things you don't want to have to reinvent every time you're working on something outside of <laughs> one of those projects, right? That's it. Speaking of things you wouldn't want to have to reinvent do you ever integrate your apps with third parties like Stripe or GitHub or Slack or Trello or any of those items? If you want quality webhooks like Stripes, for example, that's more than just sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL and calling it a day, that's where Hook Relay comes in. So Hook Relay is a service that makes sending and receiving those webhooks reliable, secure, transparent, and uh, automatic. Some may even say magical. Users are amazed at the visibility that they've gained into their webhooks. And without Hook Relay, you have no idea how many requests you're processing, but with Hook Relay, you can watch your traffic, inspect every request, and much more. It's like X-ray vision for your webhooks. Of course, if your app or your integration partners are flaky, which happens all the time, you'll love the peace of mind that comes with knowing that no matter what happens, Hook Relay is going to make sure that your webhooks are delivered. Skip those days of grueling grunt work, rolling your own webhook system, and get reliable webhooks for your app in minutes instead of days. Go to hookrelay.dev to get started and check that webhooks to do off your list. Thanks again, uh, Honey Badger, for sponsoring the show. Uh, this is for sure a huge win. Like Laravel takes all those, um, you know, takes the login, the authentication, tokens. By the way, Sanctum is freaking awesome. I'll talk about that in a minute. But Hook Relay is that for webhooks. It's really, really simple. Mm -hmm. It's a drop-in solution and it's super high quality stuff. So if you're using webhooks or wanting to add that to your application, you should definitely check them out. Really uh, great, fair pricing. Uh, check out Hook Relay. It'd be great. Sanctum. Yeah, let me talk about that real quick. So I was like shifting to Laravel 9 in the application recently and there were some changes I was not aware of, which the token guard is removed and so it screwed me all up. God, what am I going to do with this? Like, this is annoying. I was like, I don't want to have to install Sanctum to take care of this because it's like, it's like one more thing. And then I'm looking and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, wait, I don't have to do any setup. I literally just have to install Sanctum. Like, it takes care of all of the, like, I didn't have to attach any API keys. It just uses a cookie, uses the same cookie that is uh, used with your session, your Laravel session, to then authenticate your mm -hmm. user to the API. Like, that's it. The end. Oh, my gosh. I literally was like, you know, compose or require Laravel Sanctum. And then I had to do 
uh, a, uh, auth colon sanctum on my API endpoints, mm-hmm. and I was done. That was it. I was like, oh my gosh, Beautiful. this is amazing. It was so nice. So, so nice. So uh, huge shout out to Taylor and the team for creating such an awesome, awesome solution to that problem because I've used the token guard for forever, but then you have to pass mm-hmm. the token and all this stupid stuff. And it's like, I don't want to do that. And so this just makes it magical. It's just so nice. So anyway. Yeah, that and that token stuff was kind of removed and hasn't been documented since like Laravel 5.6. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So it's it's never really been something that you should use. And it's just because you've been using it for so long that it's that it's still there. So it's nice nice to know that the transition to using Sanctum was was seamless. Seriously. So, yeah, obviously a lot of thought and planning goes into making those kinds of changes where they're just essentially transparent once you know you you pull in the correct package. So yeah, exactly. Yep. It was it was perfect. Great work team. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, over to you, my friend. Back okay. to you. I okay. Took hook relay. Packages, packages, packages. Indeed. So detect and changing indentation with PHP. So the indentation package by Colin O'Dell is a PHP library to detect and manipulate indentation of strings and files. The package is brand new, and I'm not sure what the author's plans are, says Paul Redmond. Everyone's favorite human. Long term, but it's uh, he thought it was interesting to share the package if you need to uh, detect or change indentation type of a string or file from in the context of PHP. That I don't I don't think there's anything more to say about that, really. <laughs> it's uh it's a PHP script that will read a file, it'll detect uh, it'll detect the the um, indentation and it'll just make sure everything conforms or it'll change it. You know, if you want to go from two tabs to four tabs or three spaces to four spaces or whatever, now you can. And to be clear, this is not like, this is not like, Hey, you're running your editor and you want this package to format your PHP code. That's not what we're saying Mm -hmm. here. What we're saying here is if you have something that you're reading in and you want to use PHP to change the indentation of that item or that string that you're reading in, you can do that with this package. So for example, if you were reading in the composer.json file or a composer.json file, and you wanted to change that, I don't know if I could do tabs to spaces, I have no idea, but it looks like you can change the indentation of that composer.json file. So if for some reason you were reading it in odd and you wanted to just standardize that, you could do that with this package. Uh, again, that's the only thing that we've got here going on. It's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Use case? No idea. Paul Redmond thought it was interesting, which means we think it's interesting because Paul is everyone's favorite <laughs> human, and we love Paul. Okay. Let's move on. Laravel Livewire Form Wizard is a Livewire component that provides you with a wizard that supports multiple steps of a form while maintaining the state. Okay, so think through this. You have a user registration. You're going to collect general information first, name, email, password, password confirmation. The second thing you're going to do, you're going to collect is location, right? You're going to get uh, their address, maybe their zip code. Uh, next after that, you're going to get, I don't know, let's do blood type. And let's say, do you have any, you know, deathly diseases in your family history? I have no idea. You know how they always ask those stupid questions when you're registering for like mm-hmm. your dentist or whatever? Like, have you ever had plaque? I don't know, right? That stuff. And then in the last step, it's like confirm and read our, read our terms and service. Okay, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-step form, right? That's a wizard is what we'd probably call it. And this package leverages Wire UI for the design and Tailwind CSS and Alpine JS uh, to make a wizard, uh, a wizard form that has multiple steps and it will maintain the state of those steps. It'll automatically handle doing all of that for you, maintaining the steps, maintaining the state between those steps and then allowing you to go back and forward, all that good stuff. So you can use the package to make Livewire to create the component, extends it, which extends the base wizard component. Then you can just define the different steps. Uh, you can define custom properties. You can define what model will be used to populate or save uh, the different pieces. This is probably a this is probably like half package, half tutorial here because this kind of talks about. Uh, the different ways that you have control over the form, like including navigation between steps, resetting the form and all that good stuff. Um, so if a wizard is something that you're needing to do and you don't want to jump into JavaScript view land to do that, and you really like Livewire, this component might be something you'd want to check out. Uh, not component, hmm. this package might be something you'd want to check out. Package. Laravel Livewire form wizard. 
I wanted to give a shout out to the people who created it. Let's see. Who is it? Uh, Vil Danbina. Vil Danbina. Yeah. So, hey, it's using Tailwind. So you can modify everything to make it look all pretty however you want. Uh, And if you have a subscription to Tailwind UI, you can make it look even better than that. Because they actually have the whole multi-step thing figured out in the Tailwind UI stuff they have those multi-step forms like the little you know progress indicator that goes along the top of the page that's also mobile friendly and all that good stuff they have all that too mm-hmm. so yep there you Perfect. go excellent next up we have nexopause which is an open source point of sale system built with laravel um it uses everybody's favorite uh tailwind it's using Vue.js and other open source tools and provides free and paid modules that offer tools needed to manage your stores um, out of the box, Nexopause has uh, stock procurement, stock adjustments, user and roles and permission management, customer and group management, recurring expenses, unit of measurement, management, responsive UI, tax management, media management, auto management, loyalty and rewards programs, and wow, coupon management. Wow, that's pretty legit. As well as reports. And besides the free open source offerings, you can pay for premium modules for things such as customer SMS messages, staff module, and a multi-store module, and more. It's built using Laravel 8, Vue.js version 2, and Tailwind CSS version 3. And while there were a few little rough edges around the place in the V4 demo that Paul Redmond tried out, Nexopause has extensive features for building and using a point-of-sale uh, system using web technologies like Laravel, which is interesting. I've always, you know, you go into a coffee shop or whatever and they've got these things, it'd be interesting, you know, if you if you went to your local coffee shop and approached them and they didn't have one of these things and potentially, you know, help help them get set up with something a little bit more, uh, I don't know, modern, I guess, but there's a bit involved in that. So definitely if you've been looking for something and, you know, you're familiar with the tech, with the web stack and the Laravel stack and things like that, and you want to get something like that short of building it yourself, maybe check Nexopause out. I really love that there's people doing this stuff. Like, I love that Laravel is like widespread enough now that people have a problem and they think, you know what, I'll use Laravel to solve this problem. And the thing too that's nice as for me is it's written in Laravel, which means I know I can understand what's going on and I can modify it and I can make it what I want. Like if somebody was like, Hey, we built a, a point of sale system in WordPress, I'm like, Yep, you can't never do that. And can't ever do anything with that. I don't don't feel comfortable using something like that, right? Mm. Um, but the fact that this is built in Laravel and actually almost looks like it's using like tall stack stuff, possibly. It almost reminds me a little bit of filament. Uh, some of the, some of how it looks on the on the side here, but yeah, I, I love that this stuff exists. It's, it's pretty cool. So, really interesting. And actually, the, the, you know, it lists all the stuff. There's a lot of items in there as far as hmm. media management, order management, loyalty and rewards programs. Like that's stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff that comes yeah. into it for free. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Exactly. So this is really really cool. Um, so if you're looking for a point of sale stuff and you know, like you said, like you're coming into a place, maybe it's a startup, you don't want to have to pay for like Square or whatever it is, right? All, or, you know, mm-hmm. you want to create your own loyalty program stuff. Um, you could extend this one. It's it's pretty cool. So yeah, nice job, team who built that. Way to go. All right. Tutorials. Shall we talk tutorials? We've got a tutorial and then we have got a couple shout outs because of all the people who sent in submissions. We're probably not going to get to all of them today, but we will definitely get to some of them. Uh, some highlights I wanted to talk about. But before we do that, let's talk about implementing a custom driver for Laravel Socialite. So what is Laravel Socialite, first of all? Laravel Socialite is an official Laravel package to authenticate with OAuth providers. I remember this was huge back in the day because it used to be, it felt like so freaking complicated to do OAuth. And when Mm -hmm. Socialite came on the page, it was just like, boom, everything's done. It supports authentication from Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google, GitHub, Bitbucket, all that stuff, right? Beautiful. Works great. But... What if you want to use Socialite for something other than one of those things? Well, the good news is, before we talk about this, the good news is there are a ton of other libraries that are, you you have like plugins, you have like Socialite plugins. So there's a ton of Mm -hmm. those as well. Uh, So if it doesn't exist uh, already, then let's talk about what we're talking about here. But I would say as the first step, if you're saying if it's not one of those default providers, you can probably find a library that already works with Socialite that will support the OAuth thing that you're trying to get after. Mm. Get after. Yeah, check out check out socialiteproviders.com. There you go. That's where they're I all, knew it existed. All living? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in this case, they're wanting to use AWS uh, Cognito. So one more thing. Let me say this. like Maybe you're setting up your own OAuth 
server, right? That's possible, right? And there's probably not going to be a package that exists for that. So, okay, I digress. In this case, they're wanting to use AWS uh, Cognito as an authentication provider. So this allows you to authenticate using different providers and stores, centralized user data, et cetera, et cetera. So you install uh, Laravel Socialite. You're going to create your own provider, which is going to extend the abstract provider. And this is going to walk you through all the different steps that you're going to do in order to make that happen, including things like redirect URLs and getting a token and then sending that back. Um, and how do you handle the callback once you are able to authenticate the token and get the data back from the provider? What do you do next? So it walks through all of those steps. And as we've promised you, we will not go through the code step by step. <laughs> That's what the tutorial is for. Uh, but there's a lot of good documentation on here. This is all written up by uh, Louis Guet. I'm not sure. Louis, I'm sorry. Luis. I'm probably saying your last name incorrectly, but he's a, he's a Kirschbaum dude. So we like the Kirschbaum folks here. Uh, so anyway, yeah, some really good uh, write-up here. If you happen to be one of the people who needs to write up a uh, Laravel Socialite custom driver, this is for you. Okay, Whew. that being said, that's that's all the stuff. And for having a quote-unquote light news week, that wasn't too light, was it? No, no not at all. No, never is. Never is, <laughs> never is. So uh, I wanted to say thanks to all the people who actually submitted uh, ideas and packages. So I'm just going to run through the name uh, list of names real quick here. Hopefully I don't miss anybody. I'm going to click show additional replies that may be offensive and uh, go through those as well. We've got stressed <laughs> developer. We've got Bobby Liev. We've got Nilanth. We've got Ronnie Estein, Ryan Chandler, Just Steve King, Killian, Steve Bauman, Raul Day. Stephen Grant, Ahmed Nagy, and Craig Anderson, Ash Allen, Ricardo Sawir, and Sebastian Luca. That's all the folks. That's everybody who submitted something. So wow. first of all, thank you everybody for submitting these ideas. We're like I said, we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but we will keep some of these in our back pocket for next time, possibly. There are some really, really interesting ones in here. I want to talk about the simple event streaming stuff. But was there anything else that you saw, Michael, that interested you on this list that I have? in our notion here. I didn't get a chance to look too closely at it, but there was one here, which is this PHP unit gen. Yes. Uh, for generating PHP unit tests, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm doing a a lot of, and I'm finding myself going down rabbit holes trying to... We're testing an open API, and a lot of it is very repetitive because it's like go and test all the CRUD operations for all of these endpoints. And so I've been going down these horrendous rabbit holes where I'm trying to figure out how I can automate this in some sensible way so that, such that we've got coverage of all of the endpoints to make sure like we don't accidentally break anything, but not really testing the, the business level logic on those endpoints at the moment. Sure. It's more just very high level. Does the authorization work? Are users that are meant to be able to do something, able to do something. Um, and, can you know, and it basically I've, I've run out of memory and all kinds of stuff because I'm running literally like hundreds and hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of tests against the same endpoint. Like they're all exactly the same tests, just over and over again. But having something, this is something I'm going to have a look at, this PHP unit gen, which is at phpunitgen.io. And this basically just generates the tests for you. Mm -hmm. um, it's a simple powerful and modular tool to generate your PHP unit test templates. It's free and open source. Um, so there's a tool that allows you to, to generate these things. Drop your code in there. It'll go and generate some tests for you based on that code. Uh, it's got a command line interface, a web application. It's got an API as well, as well as complete documentation. It's modular. It'll do all that kind of stuff for you. This is something possibly to look at. I know that JMac and Laravel Shift yeah. are people that we love very much on on this show and in the community as as a general rule but not everyone not everyone is in a position to pay for things um and so this is definitely something that that might get you started um something worth checking out so definitely have a look at it and see if it is something that might be of use to you indeed this other one i wanted to talk about is uh sent in by bobby uh Ilyev, and it's talking mm -hmm. about how to create a simple event stream in Laravel. So have you heard of these, these server sent events, this SSE? Have you heard of this? Uh, I have not. Okay. So let's, let's real quick do a breakdown. So previously we had, we would have like long polling, right? So before WebSockets, previous mm -hmm. to WebSockets, if you wanted to do 
updates to see if something was done, you would just Ajax every 10 seconds and say, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Mm-hmm. Is it done yet? And you'd keep asking until you got a response back that said, yes, it's finally done. Quit asking me, right? And so on each one of those, you'd have to make a brand new HTTP request. You'd have to do the handshake. You'd have to do that stuff. That Ajax request makes its, makes its you know request and then the application handles that and then sends back a response. Okay. Then we have WebSockets and WebSockets are great. WebSockets open this connection and uh, they have bi-directional communication. So back and forth, right? But to set that up, you are going to use something like Pusher probably or Spassi has Laravel webhooks now, which is cool. That's that's really nice as well. It allows uni, uh, or sorry, bi-directional communication. Beyond code. Yeah, beyond code. Beyond sorry, code. beyond code and Spassi together. They worked on it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it allows for that, which is cool. But these simple, um, or sorry, server sent events essentially opens that persistent connection, but then only allows events to be sent from the server to the client. It's just one way. Hmm. It's unidirectional, right? And I actually have an application that uses something like this, where I'm basically just broadcasting events that are happening. And then the users that sort of match the criteria are getting those events, right? So every event comes in to every client, but the client will filter those events based on a set of criteria. So like a set of initials or these are the particular files I'm interested in watching. So if I hear something about this particular file, let me know. Otherwise, just ignore the event and let it pass through. That's basically what I'm doing. There is no bi-directional communication needed for me. I'm using Pusher for this. We just went over our limit the other day. We actually sent 1.2 million (laughs) requests in one day, which was kind of crazy. And our limit was was a million. And I realized... We're not doing bidirectional communication. We're only doing it one way. There's really no need mm-hmm. for WebSockets in this case. I just need to do something like this where I have this streaming event feed that's just kind of going down to the clients. And so in this tutorial, uh, they talk about how to do this. And there's this package that you can use, this event stream controller, I guess. Or they, they have in their tutorial, they talk about this event stream controller. And then they use this stream method and they talk about how you can then open up this, str- this streamed response And then you essentially sleep it for like, you know, 50 milliseconds. And then you send, Mm -hmm. you send the latest information again. So every 50 milliseconds, you're sending out this data, right? So it opens up a single connection. It doesn't have, it makes that handshake. The connection stays open. And then every 50 milliseconds, you're sending this information down for the client to consume. So I don't know like how many connections, if I don't know if every connection is, you know, a one against your limit of open connections that you can have. I don't know exactly. I haven't looked a ton into it. But the idea is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So you have this output buffering you have to enable, you have to add the route, and then you they actually have the JavaScript that is needed to be able to interact with the event stream on the front end as well, which is also super simple. You just basically say, here's a new event source and pointed at that at that stream controller, right? Here's the event source. And then it just says, when you get a message, and then again, this is just plain JavaScript. This is just, it's mm-hmm. already there. It's no library. It's just, I have a new event source. It's over there. Point me to that event source. There it is. And then we say on message, grab the event that's coming down and do something with it, right? And so in my case, I would just say, look at the event that's coming down. Do the initials match? Does the file match? One of the ones I'm looking at, I'm interested in doing. Okay, if it does, then do something. Otherwise, just ignore it, right? Pass it through. No big deal. So they've got a demo project that they have where they're showing real-time stock trades with Laravel. And then they talk about uh, server-sent events versus WebSockets. And then they link to a YouTube post about it as well. But this seemed really interesting to me. And it's definitely something I'm going to be looking into uh, probably this week because I don't want to pay, whatever. It's not that much. Like I use Pusher all the time. It's great. It's for mm-hmm. work. So I could totally justify the cost. You know how it is though. It's like, oh, is, is yeah, there something Yeah, but sometimes simpler? you don't. Yeah. 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 I, I like the idea of it. I think the the thing to be mindful of with this is, you know, it's going to hold a connection open to your web server. Right. It's also going to hold a connection open or it's going to, you know, be peppering your database. So I guess it comes down to, you know, how many how much volume you're going to have right. to this, this streaming endpoint because, right. you know, if every 50 milliseconds it's going to connect your database and, um, and I mean, I suppose yeah. it's, I suppose it's going to open one connection and then, but it's going to query it every 50 milliseconds. Right. And you if know, you have a hundred people, loop. is every hundred, is every person going to be querying it every 50 milliseconds? Right. Is the question. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, everyone's going to have a distinct connection to the the server 
So you need to be mindful of, you know, how many connections can you, and, and I mean, this is the same, doesn't matter what, what you're doing, right? Because you always need to be mindful of having capacity for, for your, for your user base. But, you know, you've got a connection open to Nginx and then you've got that's got holding a connection open to your database um, and then that's querying your database every 50 milliseconds while that connection is open. So, you know, all these kinds of considerations that you need to make as as you, you know, scale up kind of thing. So I guess that is the thing I'm interested in is like, is every single person connected to a distinct stream or does it is it just that anybody that's connected to that endpoint is getting all the broadcasts? Because if that was the case... If it wasn't every person is getting a, you know, like has their own distinct connection that's getting a 50 millisecond, you know, push from the server. If everybody's consuming the same event, that's way more interesting to me. You know, that's yeah. actually very I, cool. I, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think so Just either, but at this, maybe. Who knows? Maybe that because stream, maybe that stream response is actually... I don't know. Maybe, But the stream okay. response is still, is still a response to the request that you've made. Mm-hmm. And everyone's making... like. You know, it's just a controller. It's just an endpoint on on your Laravel application. Like, there's no, it doesn't share the the request stream between requests. Yeah, like between unique visitors. So, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be fine to a point, depending on how big you know your application server is and your database server is and things like that. But it's certainly certainly mm-hmm. worth considering. You know, if you know that you're only building this little app for like a bunch of people or if you're building something for yourself uh, you know the stock ticker or whatever else then you know it's just going to be you using it it's probably going to be okay if you're building something where you're going to be doing like an event stream for live sports this may not be the thing that you want to be using <laughs> right yep I, I get that yeah so but there are trade-offs for all of these things all the time so you got it you got it and so i'm, I'm interested i've actually this is the second time i've heard of server uh server sent events in the last month or so I'm just sort of just digging into it a little bit, just hearing about what exactly, you know, what it is, how it could be used. Um, mm. A couple of the things I wanted to talk about real quick. Okay, there is a work with Statomic job board. And also, did we get to the fact that Statomic 3 was released? I don't think that we did. Statomic 3. Statomic 3, we've talked about previously. Okay. Statomic 3.3 is out now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. With like classic Jack McDade marketing, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> the video, the I don't know if you saw that video. I did. The the antlers video, yeah. yeah. Bill, Bobby William, Bobby Antlers William becomes antlers. William. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll include a link to that in the uh, in the show notes for sure. Yeah, I saw the video. That was hilarious. So Stephen Grant posted that there is now a work with Statomic job board. So like, if you are a Statomic expert or fancy yourself to be one, people who are looking to hire folks uh, that work on Statomic can go there. So it is workwithstatomic.com. A filament, which is a tall stack admin panel that we've talked about on the show before. Craig Anderson posted that there is now, I think he's the creator of it. If you happen to use Alfred, which is an amazing Mac plugin, there is now filament docs, Alfred plugin. So there's a Laravel docs, Alfred plugin. There's a Tailwind docs, uh, Alfred plugin. Now there's a filament docs, Alfred plugin. So you can just type, you know, command space or whatever your Alfred shortcut happens to be. And then probably fl for or fd for filament docs and then colon and Mm -hmm. then pass something you know type something in and it'll kind of do a quick search for you for the filament docs if you happen to be using that a lot laravel captcha plugin so raul day has a package out there for if you happen to be working with captchas and you want to use that with laravel good stuff there the other one i wanted to mention is laravel breeze react version so Nilanth is the one who submitted this. So we have Vue, uh, we have and wait, wait, let's see, we have Inertia, we have Livewire, and now there's a React one, right? So that's what that's what this one was. So mm-hmm. um, we'll throw some of those in the show notes. But yeah, good stuff there. So this was this is really nice actually. I liked talking, uh, I liked interacting with the community in this way, and just saying like, hey, send whatever you want to talk about, and we'll we'll do our best to talk about it on the show. And get, had some good had some good responses, so that was really fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was there was. Um, sometimes I I think you know because you know we record this every four every two weeks, yeah. and you know we're kind of talking into the void, and there's not a lot of feedback in terms of like people speaking to us. But it was good to to see that kind of engagement from you know the community and and hearing you know that people do want to share their stuff. So we might do another one of these. Probably probably not every episode because it's hard to. It's hard to kind of plan ahead of time because we don't know how much news is going to be and how much other stuff comes up. But definitely, if we're if we're looking for something in future, I think 
is a good uh, good little engagement exercise. Absolutely. I agree. All right, folks. Well, this was episode 163. Three. Episode 163. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Find show notes at uh, Laravel, sorry, podcast.laravel-news.com slash 163. Hit us up on Twitter at Michael Derrida at Jacob Bennett or at Laravel News and rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be much appreciated. Whew, got it all through. Thanks again to Honey Badger for sponsoring the show. They're, the, they're awesome and uh, Hook Relay is something you should definitely check out if you're looking to add web hooks to your application. All right, folks. Until next time, have a good one. For real. See ya. See ya. Bye.